Hello and welcome to Match Day FM. It's Morgan and it's deflected in out of absolutely nothing. Curzon and Ashton Lee. Dixie to Hardy. Hardy in behind. Hardy past the goalkeeper. Hardy into the goal. 2-1 filed. Chance of Colin Day. Bob and everyone again. The other shot. And it's in. It's a recall as for Colin Day. It's been coming. What's a gap and he goes through it. And Akron gets the first try of the game for Siddle. Dan Bradley on his debut scores his first goal for Files. They've got it with Smith, and they've got it with Smith! They've got a score with Smith! Unbelievable! Great chance! They've won it! Ashton have won it! Hello and welcome to the Match Day FM podcast. In this episode, we are talking Super League's Magic Weekend. The Rugby League extravaganza has been a mainstay in the sports calendar for over a decade, and it was due to take place last weekend in Newcastle. But for reasons we are all aware of, it didn't. So for this week's podcast, we'll be looking back at some of the events' most memorable moments as well, as well as looking at whether the format will continue into the sports future. I'm Chris Stott, and with me for this week's episodes is uh, regular Matchday FM voices Rob Lee and Kieran Makin, as well as special guest Dave Parkinson. First of all, gents, how are we all? Yeah, good. I'll, I'll I'll jump in first. I'm good. You know, it's nice to nice to see you all again, even though it's virtually. You know, it almost feels like I'm out of the house nearly. <laughs> no, so same here. Yeah, good. I can't complain too much. You know, and I suppose everyone's up and down a little bit, but you know, mostly up and down, I suppose. And yeah, good to see Dave as well. Long time no see, so well, welcome, Dave. Always good to have a chat, guys. And uh, it feels like old times again, to be honest. Magic weekends. It was one of the big events and the big new uh, creations that come with uh, the modern Super League. First of guys, um, what's your sort of like overall views on it? Is it something that you look forward to each year? I'll come to Rob first on that. Yeah, I mean, it was, it's one of the like, creations that they came up with, with Rugby League kind of to bring it to the to the market of the family, really, um, just to kind of show that it was, you know, it was that inclusive game. I mean, I enjoyed it because, you know, it's, it's two days of just, back-to-back rugby games and it's what every rugby fan wants and you know when it first kicked off I was fully immersed in the game rugby you know I was playing it pretty much every day I was training I I, I lived and breathed it um so when it first came out I was just like I couldn't get enough of it it was it was great I mean the the places that it went to as well it it, it, it's what it's what rugby league needed at the time and you know I, I look forward to it every year because there's always something daft or something wild or something controversial that's going to happen and it's like what's that next thing going to be so yeah I'm, I'm a fan of it and Kieran obviously um it's like the show showpiece alongside you know your challenge cup finals and your grand finals isn't it for for people who don't necessarily watch Super League and Rugby League on a on a weekly basis it gives the exposure to that sort of people doesn't it yeah I'd agree with that to be honest and I think a lot of what rugby league in this country has been is trying to come up with these sort of ideas to try and expand the, the market if you like you know you've got your hardcore rugby league fans and you always will do but it's trying to you know a, a bit like what Rob said really about you know getting, getting the whole family involved that kind of thing and um, Magic Weekend is, is is something that even if you're a casual fan you know and I'd compare it to a fest like a, like a music festival it is a festival of rugby league if, even if you're not that interested in the, in the sport you can go and just have a really good day. You know, it's it's brilliant for the fans. You can go and just have a have a great weekend on the beer with, with your mates or family or whatever. So, yeah, I'm, I'm in in a nutshell. I really enjoy it, and it is something in the rugby league calendar that, that I look forward to. Um, 
alongside, like you said, the grand final and stuff like that, the, the sort of um, big events, they try and like almost jazz them up a little bit, you know, like the Super Bowl almost. Like it's, the, you know, not quite fireworks and cars driving <laughs> on the pitch at halftime, but you, you get what I'm saying. Yeah, and, and Dave, um, for you, you've even been able to, to work as a journalist at, at a couple. Um, how much of a buzz is it to be at an event like that? Uh, they're very enjoyable. The great, great uh, weekends to cover. Um, I want to come at this from a slightly separate angle, though, if I may. And that's regarding how I have seen the Magic Weekend. So I believe that, yes, yeah, it's the showcase and it's a chance to put the sport in front of people who don't necessarily always watch it. But I always get the feeling that they've never really done that much follow-up work. You know, so for example, they took it down to Cardiff. Did that really boost rugby league in the area down there? I, I don't know. I've not really seen any evidence of it. They, they took it up to up, up to um, Murrayfield. Did they do much in Scotland? You know, granted, there's a lot of development work that's now going on in Scotland. There's a lot of uh, you know growth being done. The best place where for me it's had its successes has been Newcastle because of the way that that area has taken to rugby league. There's a, an awful lot of amateur clubs that have now been set up. So there's a lot of grassroots stuff. There's a lot more people interested in it in that area. And for me, that seems like it's natural home, you know. So I felt when they moved it over to over to Manchester and they moved it, you know, last year over to Anfield, it didn't really feel like a, a special occasion to me that because let, let's be honest, you know, there's, you know, three or four Super League clubs that are within half an hour of Liverpool. So it's, it's not really a special event for, for any of those people travelling. And also as well, with regards to, to, to Manchester, they hold the grand finals in Manchester. So I just having double, double, double trouble, I suppose, you know, by taking it there. Um, so, yeah, so whilst it is an excellent event to cover from a, a working point of view, and I, I know that you're going to ask me about that later on, um, yeah, I think that there should be more attached to it with regards to planning and, and exactly what it does. You know, what what is its point now? You know, it's been going 13 years or however long. Um, and, and you do just question, has it lost its way a little bit? Or have they now got a plan to get it established in Newcastle again, where rugby league is a developing sport, you know, that's really been taken to the hearts of a lot of people in that area. Yeah, very interesting point there, Dave. Uh, like I said, we'll, we'll revisit sort of like, what um, the future of the events could look like uh, once we've gone through the, the memorable moments. But I'll just quickly get a, a view from the rest of you on just where you th- actually think um, it has been at its best. Has it, is it best in Manchester, Newcastle, Anfield, Edinburgh or Cardiff? What, what would you say on that, Rob? I, I, I think, um, you know, definitely... You know, obviously, when it when it was in Cardiff, it was one of the it was Millennium Magic when when they first when they first brought it out. So like it it kind of had its first first out in there. It was kind of it was quite a magic thing. It was the first time that all all the teams have played at one venue um, in one weekend uh, from Super League. And but I, I've got to I've got to admit I agree with uh, Dave massively about it's I think it's been at its best uh, with the whole package when it's been. At, um, when it's been in, in Newcastle at St James's Park, uh, but for personally, from my from when I've watched it and when I've been really engrossed in it, it's always been when it when it's been at Man City's ground at the Etihad. I'm, I mean, I'm looking at it at, at three different angles. There. I'm looking at it from when it first started to to where it's travelled to now. Uh, but yeah, the whole package definitely up in up in Newcastle from my spectator point of view. I'd say the Etihad in Manchester didn't really work at, at Liverpool because Liverpool is far too much of a footballing town, a footballing city. Um, 
you know, if you look at the, the amount of, uh, you know, amateur teams that you've got in football in Liverpool compared to how far away your amateur rugby clubs are, is there's not a lot of travelling to do. So, you know, David hit the nail on the head there. Liverpool wasn't probably a good idea to take it there, but but Newcastle was kind of a bit further away from everything. And yeah, the follow-up to that was amazing. What about you, Kay? Yeah, just a culmination of points that what both Rob and Dave have mentioned there. And first and foremost, I think Newcastle has been the most successful. Um, and, and again, from a fan's point of view, Newcastle is such a great city to, you know, go out and enjoy yourself and it has a good nightlife as well. So I think that has, that's contributed to it. Um, but I, I, did en- I did obviously, I did enjoy it, like Rob said, when it first started in, in, you know, the Millennium Stadium in Wales. But I think the sort of novelty wore off of Wales, if you like, because obviously it was really good the first couple of years because it was new and, you know, it was a sort of like new introduction to, to the fans and, and, and to the players themselves, you know, everyone playing on the same weekend. And I think the fans sort of like, you know, really latched onto that. But then they had to sort of move it on to try and develop it and keep it going. And, and obviously, it's been going for, you said, over a decade. Um, when it went to Murrayfield, I wasn't sure um, that went so great. And obviously, we've mentioned Anfield, Liverpool, and I, I almost forgot that they, <laughs> that they did it at Liverpool, to be honest with you. So, um, I'd say Newcastle, definitely. But I actually quite enjoyed Manchester. Um, I know it's funny how you doubt yourself, actually, because when Dave said about the, the grand final being in Manchester, you go, oh, oh, yeah, I didn't even think about that. Um, but I enjoyed it when they took it to Manchester. I think there were some really good games there, which obviously helps. Um, but I thought it was almost them bringing it back central, if you like, because Manchester's sort of in the middle of a, a lot of clubs. You know, it's not too far from Yorkshire, not too far. Well, it, you know, basically is Lancashire, isn't it? So, go to um, Salford. <laughs> yeah, well, so, yeah, Salford, you, know, you can walk it. Um, the, the only team that's struggling is Catalans, really. You know what I mean? But when they brought it back to Manchester, I felt they were bringing it back more central. And then moving up to Newcastle, I think it's just been a big success. Yeah, so in a nutshell, Newcastle, I think, has been the, the best venue. This is the Matchday FM podcast, bringing you debate, discussion and the occasional audio argument as we talk the best and worst of sport. You can find details of upcoming episodes on our social media to search for Matchday FM. It's safe to say every venue has had at least a couple of moments which have stood the test of time for the Magic Weekend and I want to come to you first, Kieran, on on this one. What are a is one of the moments that you think really stands out and epitomizes what Magic Weekend is all about? What is a magic magic moment? Um, so I've written a few down, but this is one that always just sort of immediately springs to mind, and it's from the first ever. Uh, magic weekend in 2007 and whether it's a magic moment or not depends on which side of the coin you were on whether you're on the Bradford Bull side or the Leeds Rhino side at the, at, at the time and uh, obviously just to give it a bit of concept, uh, context obviously it's a, it's a York, you know, Yorkshire rivalry is Bradford and, and Leeds especially back then Bradford had a really good team obviously things have gone on since then with Bradford but the, in a nutshell Bradford were leading uh, 38-36 and Leads are on the attack. I think there's just over a minute to go on the clock. Um, Ellis offloads the ball and it's Bradford player. Bradford fans go up. They think they've won the game. Um, and then, obviously, referee gives a penalty, which was dubious within itself. So, Kev, Kev Sinfield, you know, master kicker, he thinks, right, just going to kick two points, pinch a draw. And what, to follow, what was going to follow in those next 10 seconds or what after he kicked that ball was just absolute chaos, to be honest. Um, 
Obviously, Kendall kicks the penalty, bounces off the crossbar. Bradford are all switched off, and there's Jordan and Tanzi. Collects the ball as the hooter goes, and he's all for the try. Leeds players are going nuts. Bradford players going up to the referee. Go to the screen, go to the screen. He doesn't. Don't know why in that situation. You wouldn't go to the screen. Um, he gives the try. Um, and Kev Simmons was doing a cartwheel. All sorts is going on. Uh, but the, the main thing was that John and Tansy was absolutely miles offside. So it was just crazy to see. I think that is the big word, isn't it? It's crazy. And it's almost like one of those famous, infamous moments, isn't it? Because of just how shocking of a, of a decision, isn't it, Rob? It's just like... We, we joked before we was coming on this. He, he might as well have been studying your back, backyard. Uh, he's when he's he, uh, still studying. <laughs> Jordan, Jordan Tansy's still there now, waiting for Kevin Sinfield's kick to land. He, he, he's that far. But as as somebody who's played the played the game and played it quite a lot, when, when a decision goes like that against you, you just can't help but despair. You know, you're like, go to the screen. You, you know, you, if you're not sure, just check it. But then he gives it, and then there's there's nothing. As soon as he's given it, you, you know, you can't do anything other than that, other than just, you know. It is what it is, but it's not the first time that it, you know an offside decision's you know impacted and the result of a magic weekend game. I mean, Chris Green's try against uh, Hulk AR for Hull when he, when he was playing for LFC. I mean, he was about a week in front of uh, in front of uh, can't remember his name now. Die out and he, he played for, and he collects it, scores it, and again the Hulk AR players are going mad. Like go to the screen, go to the screen, and it's just they just give it. And it's like it, it's it's blatant offside. It's like you've got the lines in the grass. Use them they're, they're as well. But I'm with Key. Sometimes, sometimes a, a good game just needs a good bit of controversy just to keep you talking about it because you certainly remember them. Yeah, sorry, just quickly as well. It was the final game of that weekend. So imagine that's like your lasting memory of the Magic Weekend. Then, and it, it, as a neutral, it does leave you wanting more. Yeah, and, and Dave, it's. Because it was the first one as well, and that was like he says the the last game. That ultimately, it's quite a first impression to make, isn't it? Because that is ultimately what that year's event is remembered for. Uh, amazing ending to a game, and one that just so controversial. And Steve Ganser didn't exactly uh, cover himself in glory on that one. It'd certainly be something that I get you wanting more of that sport, isn't it? You know, and I think that um, we talk about trying to get hooks and, and, and trying to, you know, get people involved in rugby league. And it certainly got people talking, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, uh, you, you do look at the replays of it and think, oh, how did he come up with that decision? I, I think he, he's probably just been, uh, you know, he'd had a long weekend at Steve Ganson. He decided he just didn't want it going on any longer. There'd already been various stoppages in the game. It was a real high scoring one. So as a referee, he's going to be shattered because he's running from one end of the field to the other all the way through and he just wants it all done and dusted he don't want it ending in a draw <laughs> to me it made it so quick didn't it but what what baffled me as, as well watching it is I'm not 100% uh, convinced he grounded it cleanly either there's that many bodies in and around surely that in itself warranted a, a check didn't it guys you know just I've, I've got. I've got, agree, I've got to agree with Dave there. I think Ganson's got some points. Just gone. That's enough, fat lads. Well done. Go have a shower. Off you go. <laughs> Cheers, guys. Go, Bye. <laughs> if it does end in a draw, it, it, it just takes the sting out of the affair because sometimes you do want a winner. You know, you've had a proper, you know, end to end, or even like, you know, you've had a proper arm wrestle of the game. You do want a winner. I mean, I've played in a game where, in rugby unions, was you know slightly different. Finished free all, and I've got to the end of it. And I'm like, is that it? You know, 
can, can nobody have a winner? Because you don't really know how to react with a draw. I mean, you do as you do as a fan, and you do as a as somebody like a journalist because you've got loads to write about. You know, you know, like and somebody couldn't quite win it, or somebody couldn't quite lose it, or there was a chance to win it and it didn't happen, or whatever. Mm. You know, there's loads to talk about. But as a player, it's like sometimes you do just want that natural conclusion to a game, whether it's a win or a, a win or a loss. Uh, but I've I've got to admit, I agree with Dave. Ganson was just like, that's enough, that lads. Off you go. In to you go. Fair, to be fair, when you're covering games like that as well, there's generally times when you're doing sort of maybe even three or four rewrites on the hoof, and it sort of it gets quite it gets quite emotional because you're thinking, can I get it in on time? You know, and all this type of stuff. Oh no, I've got to rewrite six six lots of me, my story, you know, and everything. So yeah, it's um, uh, it's it certainly made for an exciting first uh, end to the. Uh, magic weekend that didn't it yeah I'm just glad that wasn't uh, a game I was trying to do a match report on because like you say Dave that <laughs> that is a heck of a rewrite isn't it and uh, might as well stick with you Dave um, what for you is one of the the moments uh, that you remember most fondly about um, about magic weekend over the years uh, I'm going to pick 2010 and I'm going to pick Bradford against Crusaders. Now, uh, some people think, where's he going with this? You know, because neither side <laughs> at the time were covering themselves in glory. I think uh, Crusaders were propping up Super League at the time. They did not won in about six games. Bradford had won all their previous six matches. So it was looking on paper like it was going to be a massive mismatch. Um, and it was, but it was Crusaders that won it. They won it 19 points to nil. Um, controlled it throughout. They got a halfback playing called Michael Witt, who kicked Bradford to death uh, with, uh, you know, really, really good kicking game. Uh, just took the points every single time when they were on offer. He kicked two goals and a drop goal before half time. Also popped up for two tries. But the actual main moment of that game was it was a, a young Jack Sparrow lookalike called uh, Jared Summer, who had flown in to the country about. 24, 48 hours beforehand, uh, been thrust into this big game up at Murrayfield. Uh, and the last 10 minutes, he just grabbed it by the scruff of the net. There was one particular piece of play that I, I recall. And he gets this pass and you're thinking, he's not that on. He's knocked it past about three players. And then he's run on and collected it before it's hit the ground. Then chipped over the fullback and won the race for the try. And then you're thinking, wow, this is, some, this is like a great moment. If you could ask anything to go particularly right, um, for your very first game, you'd want to be scoring a try like that that people are still talking about 10 years later. So, you know, for me, that was uh, a seminal moment of the Magic Weekend and just sums up um, sort of the emotions that get around it because I, I just remember them going onto a load of Crusaders fans who, granted, weren't, uh, they weren't great in vast numbers, but I tell you what, they made one heck of a noise in that stadium and the whole place erupted. And the the thing is as well, we we know the three the four of us um, have have seen a lot of Jared Summit over the years. Obviously, he's, he's down in the championship now, and uh, we've seen him do stuff that you just don't think he's on, and that that is one of them. And best thing is, um, he's just got off a plane, hasn't he? And <laughs> basically gone straight to the ground, put on his kit, and gone and done that. And that, he's like, uh, like I said, he was Captain Jack Sparrow look like he's he was a maverick of of that. Um, event wasn't he and he's the one that ultimately people remember from from that game 
I do like seeing Mavericks as well. I think something, uh, I know this is a completely different topic of conversation and you'll probably wave at me to shut up in a minute <laughs> or keep it quite brief. But I, I, generally in rugby league these days, we don't see as many Mavericks. It seems to almost get coached out and everybody goes off game plans. I don't think you could give a game plan particularly to Jared Sammer. You just have to send him out and say, play what you see and call for it when you need it. And, and I, I like watching players like that. I don't think we've seen anyone like that since Lee Breers. Okay, you get a certain semblance of that with players like Sam Tompkins, but even so, the more glimpses these days rather than someone wanting to actually put their hand up and go, you know what, I'm going to try and win this game. And Rob, um, again, like you said, I've, you've seen a lot of Jared Summit over the years and that that try is, is just all about Jared Summit in it and it's the sort of thing you love to see, just somebody just trying something. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm all keen for it. I know if my rugby coach listens to this, he's probably going to pull his hair out Well, what he's got left. Um, of just going, you, you've got to stick to a game plan. You've got to stick to a game plan. But sometimes I just want that player to try that chip over the top, drop a shoulder and try and go through a little gap. And I, I, remember, I, I remember very distinctly, I was watching it around at a friend's house and I remember Jared Summer and we both, exactly the same as what Dave said. He goes, oh, it's not that on. What's he doing there? And then, and then he collects it and then he chips over something. And then we just, we just ended up both speech with like going, how has he done that for Crusaders against Bradford? How, how has he done that? And, you know, and that's, you know, it was, I like seeing tries like that where you're just left, you know, you know, dumbfounded of just like, how have you managed it? How have, how have, and, you know, Dave mentioned Sam Tompkins earlier, 2012, he did it in Magic Weekend again. Uh, pops a dummy to, uh, I think it was Liam Farrell or Aaron St. Anson. After St. Helens team buys it and he goes through and scores in the corner. And again, I'm just left there going, how has he done that? Because if I tried that in my game, I'd just get smashed into row F and that'd be it. The game over. Uh, I'd never try it again. I probably wouldn't even try it in the first place. But yeah, so, sometimes I, do, I, I agree with Dave. I, I do like some of Taking the game and going, I'm I'm playing this game. If you want to play this game with me, you've got to come up to my speed. You've got to come up to my style, and nobody's going to do it. And no, if nobody can do it, you just end up, you know, stood out like like Samet did that day and, and on numerous days since, you know, from his many travels of many clubs around the country. And Key, um, arguably, you could say that was the moment that defines Murrayfield as a venue for it because it's, it's probably the obvious one to go to because I'm, I'm trying to wrap my brain and I can't think of any other ones really at Murrayfield that, that sort of made you stand up and go wow as much as that one did. Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, I, I cannot really remember anything from Murrayfield, but that has jogged my memory somewhat. Um, mainly when he said he's a Jack Sparrow lookalike. I remember the old haircut and the, and the beard. Um, uh, but yeah, like, like Dave said, we could go on about Jared Summit, you know, for... For, for an entire podcast, for yeah, I mean, he, <laughs> he, he is a maverick or an enigma of rugby league, and obviously, I don't want to go off too much of a tangent. It's just you know, seconding some of the things that would have been said, but um, it, it, his natural ability is is frightening sometimes. And I think if he if he was a bit more structured and a bit more coached, and he and he could have probably maintained his career at, at a high level for a longer period of time. But it's almost like you don't really want to take that away from him either because. He could be the difference between, you know, losing or winning a game with one of those moments. You know what I mean? And if he wants to play that way, then obviously that's his biggest attribute. He's just, um, 
his talent is quite frightening, to be honest. Um, but he's sort of, you know, he's obviously done the rounds at the lower league. But yeah, just just thinking back on, on Crusaders in general, to be honest, they are almost a forgotten club, aren't they? Of of the Super League days, the and world. yeah, they they you know they had uh, Keith Senior once upon a time, mm. didn't they? And um, you know, sort of just disappeared into nothingness. Yeah, Brian Noble was there at one point, wasn't he? As he a, was, like yeah, a coach yeah. or something. And then you know, they, had, I remember when they um, first came through into the Championship, Dave. I uh, will just very quickly elaborate on this point. But I remember when they were in the Championship, Dave, and came to Hilton Park um, and outplayed Lee, and Lee were one of the the favourites to to go out that year. And I think it was the year that Crusaders um, went to made a grand final. They played some tremendous stuff, you know. They had a they had a fullback who you just couldn't stop from scoring. They also had Josh Hanney as well. He'd played, I think, for Queensland, um, you know. So when when you you took in that sort of quality up against uh, you know championship defences, then there was only there was only one uh, one outcome really. And they had a they had a player as well who I always thought just sounded like a perfect name for a place where you visit. Mark Dallacourt. Sounds oh, like that's, that's just down the road from uh, from Southport at Mark Delacour. It's just, just down the road from Southport. You go down the farm, the <laughs> bypass, it's just It there, sounds very it? much like a union club you might have played at, right? <laughs> do, do you know what I might have? I'm thinking about, thinking back with her. I think, I, think, think I've done I'm, I'm it. I'm thinking more country part with a golf course. So we might, we might be seeing... <laughs> We might be seeing a certain bloke called Cummins going there in a bit then. You know? <laughs> <laughs> bit of satire, that's what we like, Dave. <laughs> we'll bring it back down to, to Magic Weekend now and we'll go to Rob and I think we all know what Rob's going to throw forward here and being that uh, we might as well address the elephant in the room. Rob is a Wigan fan, so he's Don't 100% going to mention Wigan. You know, it's, it's just one of those natural things, you know. There is, there's many of them, unfortunately. No, we yeah, can't that, get rid of them, can we? That, that, us Leithers have stick together. That's the thing, though. If I, if I supported any team other than Wigan, I'd have just been cast out by my family and that would have been it. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it would have been game over there and then. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll happily talk about Wigan playing in, in Magic Weekend. Uh, I nearly actually picked their 16 older or against St. Helens because how anybody can throw a 16 nil. Well, actually, it was. Yeah, it was a 16-point uh, advantage away with 15 minutes left. It's just, you know, that's a special talent, that. Uh, but I'm going to talk about the 2012 Magic Weekend instead because why not? There was, there was three red cards. There was um, a handful, loads of tries, a big fight, and it made made headlines everywhere. And yeah, it's kind of the opposite of what uh, Magic Weekend really should have been where it is kind of a family affair and it's kind of, you know, bringing it together and it's all, you know, nice and it promotes the sport. It, and this kind of maybe cast a bad a bad light on it where you had a massive fight at about 65 minutes into the game. It was, you know, it was just, and it was just started from a push and a shove as well in a scrum. It's like, whose head goes where? Who, does your head go here? Does your, it, it doesn't matter in rugby league. You're not scrummaging properly. So it doesn't matter who's tight head or loose head, who's got the head where, you know, it's just a hug at the end of the day. And then Gareth Ock, Chris Tucson, and oh, uh, Sean McGuinness. Sean McGuinness. Sean McGuinness. I, couldn't, yeah. I, couldn't, I, had that, I had the name kind of half in me and I just couldn't remember how to pronounce it, if I'm honest. But what was what stood out more in that game than the three red cards in the fight was the fact that Wigan played some really, really good rugby. And I mean some really good rugby. Uh, they blew St. Helens away in the first half. I mean, a couple of tries from Charlie, one from Sam Tompkins. And it's like, that's... In fact, I think Gareth Hawke even got on, on the uh, the score sheet as well. 
Um, I, I think he even stepped Paul Wellens as well at fullback, which is oh, he did blows the mind to think. Um, but then after the um, after the fight, you thought you know it was twelve players against eleven in Santelli's favour, and you think you know tables have, uh, have maybe evened up a bit, or or you know or turned, and Santelli's could maybe get on the score sheet a few more times here. And Wigan carried on, and and they looked like they still had thirteen players on the pitch. They looked like. He looked a complete outfit in that game. He was like, it didn't matter who was playing, how many they had. Uh, I, I mean, the, the, the try that stands out, uh, I think it was, it was either Luluai or Hansen scores it. Uh, and they go down the right with Charlie and Goulding and then come back inside. And it's like, that's against, you've got a player less and you've created a massive overlap. And I think that was just the, you know, the game plan that we mentioned before, which, you know, someone like Jared Samet wouldn't sit, wouldn't fit into. But when that game plan works, you've got that structure. It just doesn't, it doesn't falter, and, and you know, even with a player less, you, you, you're still finding holes. And so, for me, that, that that was my magic moment because it was just a complete, complete game from from one team, and it, it just blew a team that was you know top top three or top four, I think they were at that point in that part of the season. It just blew them away, and you wouldn't have thought that if you if you'd have thrust a complete outsider into into the game and said, where is Wigan in the table? Where's St. Helens in the table? You'd have gone, Wigan top, St. Helens two or three from bottom. Not the fact that it was like first and fifth or first and fourth. It was, like I said, that that was a magic moment for me. I, I, massively because I'm, I'm a Wigan fan, but because it was a complete uh, performance. I think um, was the, the, the big shenanigans at the scrum. I think that really... The only real comparison, I mean, and it's even a bit of a stretch of comparison, is you know, the, the shades a little bit of that um, famous Good Friday mm. brawl, wasn't there? Of uh, it just just happened out of absolutely yeah. nothing, didn't it, Kay? Yeah, um, I've actually put that down in my notes, actually. Um, but uh, the brawl is, uh, like Rob said, I'm, to be honest, I'm going to second a lot of Rob's, Rob, what Rob said here. And obviously, you probably saw that was nodding like a Churchill dog all the way through <laughs> Rob's sort of. Uh, description and but yeah I think the scrum obviously the negativity of the scrum took away like from what what an actual actually good performance they were brilliant honestly some of the tries they scored were sensational um and Rob you were absolutely right Gareth Hawk did put Paul Wellens on his backside with a step which you know is just you know ridiculous to think of and just some of the tries they scored and, and Rob mentioned it earlier the Sam Tompkins try where, where he throws an outrageous dummy and, and you watch it now and you think, how oh, is that tricked, you know, basically Full all the St. Helens team? But it, it did. And it, and then the pace he showed after that, once he, he went through like a na- hot knife through butter, and the pace he showed to just blitz it into the corner and just some scintillating rugby. And, and even when Rob said after the red cards and it was, you know, Wigan had a, a man less. And I think it was 30 points to six at the time when that happened. And I was watching the highlights the other day, actually, when I was doing my... Um, notes and I think Brian Carney says it's game on and to think that St. Helens scored as many tries after the after the sends off at sendings off that they did when it was 13 v 13 is just is just phenomenal really so overall it was a superb performance but the, I suppose the overarching note I want to make about this is 
it all started in the scrum because of Louis McCarthy, Scarsbrook, doing what he does best, winding up <laughs> Gareth Ock. Um, and obviously, it's the Southerner comes out smelling of roses. Didn't even get a card. You can even hear the players when, when they send off Tucson, because Tucson and McGuinness are obviously properly going at it at the back. Like, Tucson's giving it what for, with a mo- mohawk as well. Him and McGuinness are proper going at it. And um, well, Pox obviously reacted indifferent but yeah the southerner comes out smelling the roses and all the Wigan players you can even go what about what about Scarsbrook what about Scarsbrook but to be fair though Lee Lee Mossop got away with you know an an on-the-field decision as well because I can't remember who who he put who he landed a shot on landed a punch on but he just waited for a gap to open up and just went straight through and if they'd have gone to the screen to make decisions he would have gone as well you know it it could have been five red cards really if I'm honest Um, because Lee Mossop was completely out of nowhere and completely unnecessary because uh, the fact that the the fight was pretty much pr- pretty much over, really. Um, yeah. But, to, to but, answer start his question, it, it, it was probably the, the the baddest fight between Wigan and Saints since that good <laughs> that good yeah. Friday one. To be honest, yeah. and just to bring Dave in, just to avoid this becoming the Cherry and White podcast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dave, um, like we said, like the guys have touched on. Firstly, I'll apologise if you can hear a hear a dog. Uh, barking in, in the background, obviously. I thought it was just you sending rough, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, obviously, you've had, um, you know, heard from Robin Key, though, about the, the brilliance of the Wigan performance, but um, you always love a bit of needle between two great rivals, and ultimately, you know, Wigan and Saints are the ultimate rivals, aren't they? Oh, they are. I mean, you know, the um, according to some people, you know, it's the original derby, isn't it? You know, it is. All said and it done. is. I knew, I knew he'd get in there, Rob. I knew he'd for another day. That. I knew that again for another day. That's hooked right in, hook line and sinker. I just had to bite. It's um, you know, I mean, they, this is to be honest, why why rugby league has survived as long as it has because of rivalries that have built up the likes of Wigan and St Helens. And let, let's be honest, everybody loves a loves a good scrap. We all might we all might look at it and say, oh no, that's not that's not the way that we do things in rugby league. But to be honest, when there is needle and it, it it's obvious that games mean something, and there's a you know let, let, let's be honest, a lot of these players that end up playing for the likes of Wigan and St Helens, they've they've grown up playing against each other as well, so they know each other. They know what winds everybody up and that just carries on and carries on and carries on um i think it's fantastic i, I love when there's a little bit of needle and uh, you know bring back the biff that's the old saying that they say in australia isn't it so let's yeah. have a bit of that and let's face it but for a bit of biff we'd have never have had iconic moments like mick morgan and and all that sort of stuff yeah you just get him off get him yeah, off exactly. the field <laughs> get him walking <laughs> Oh, it's, but you know, we mentioned before that we we come on air. You know, again, it wasn't a um, it wasn't a magic weekend. You know, example we we're on about Lee Centurions versus Swinton in the championship a, a good few years back now, and the first thing that went to was remember that scrap with between you know Adam Higson and Gareth Hock, and there's a, there's a theme of this. It's Gareth Hock, I think. I'm sorry, mate. <laughs> He won't it's mind. Just, I'm sure he will. I'm sure he won't <laughs> always been misunderstood. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> but, but you know, if you, I think you can get away with a few things like that if you if you've got the quality of rugby in you that Gareth Fox does, you know, I, I I quite happily say that Gareth Fox is one of the best rugby players that you'd you'd see on a, on a pitch uh, when he's on his day. He's sometimes he's just unplayable. Um, but like like Dave said, some you know Magic Weekend brings the best out in something because they need something from it. 
and I, and I'm going to use again Wigan as an example. It was 2015. They needed something from Magic Weekend, and they, they got a result against Leeds, and Leeds were flying at the time. You know, they were playing really well, and and you know, Matty Bowen yeah, dotted down for two, put put Joe Burgess through a gap that you know was seems seems massive on a rugby pitch. And then George Williams is sprint for the corner as well. I, I, sometimes you do get them games where they can be season changers at Magic Weekend because you need to go for a result and you get a result and then you set up for the rest of the year. I think usually as well, they're like midway through the season, aren't they? You know, yeah. so that's what we're, we're always kind of like looking towards. And then, you know, like, like you were saying, a result here or a result there on that particular weekend can, can really set you up going forward into the second half of the season. Because it, it certainly puts, as the example which I did with Crusaders, it put them up for a few weeks afterwards. Dave, I know you mentioned, um, you know, as a bit of a joke before about the what is the, the real rivalry in, in, in the sport? Obviously, another massive rivalry is uh, Hull KR and Hull FC. And I know, uh, Kevin, you had this uh, this one noted down as well. But I want to talk on the the David Hodgson last-minute winner um, in that derby at the Etihad where the KR start the attack from their own 20, work it left. And they almost seemingly got to David Hodgson too soon. On, on the halfway line he's got an awful lot to do and beats the winger all ends up to to win the game scored from virtually the halfway line that is the sort, sort of trying the last minute of a game in a game like that as well the derby which the whole derby every year is one of those games isn't it that we look for and that magic weekends obviously this is possibly a thing we'll revisit later where they always seem to be magic weekends seem to be better with derbies I thought on this one was always one of them and a great moment from Hodgson to win a game in the fashion he did. Yeah, I'd agree. I think that, uh, you know, we've, we've seen some great moments, haven't we, between Hull and Hull Kingston Rovers down the years, a magic weekend. And um, But yeah, that, that Hodgson one really does stick in the memory because it was just like he found an extra gear and just motored. He was, he was, it's like he turned back the clock because, I mean, he was quick when he first came on the scene as a young kid. But by that stage, he's getting on a little bit and you're thinking, has he got the, has he got the legs anymore? Has he got the legs? Oh, he's gone. Linking neck, he's, he's through, he's off. Um, you know, and, and th- those moments, they're, they're always great. They're, they're perfect to finish matches as long as you're the side that's winning. <laughs> they're absolutely gutting if it's scored against you and you're thinking, oh, if only we'd made that tackle or if only we'd stopped that offload, you know. So, uh, but yeah, fa- another fantastic magic moment. And Kayla, like I said, I know that's one um, you'd noted down. So, so just uh, mm. tell us why, why you think that that was one of the the more memorable magic moments. Yeah, I think again, just echoing f- f- different points. That behind Wigan and Saints, it's my f- this game. Hold Hold KR is my favourite game to watch in the Super League. I think the passion is just ridiculous, and there is real animosity between the two fans. It sets of fans. Um, I think shades of what Dave said in terms of like David Hodgson, like that stage of his career wasn't the quickest. But he just, I don't know where he found that pace. Honestly, he just does a little shimmy and he's off. And it, it must just be the adrenaline carrying him at that stage of the game because he had, he had nowhere to go, really. You know, he, he, he was 1v1 and, and, and he probably just thought, you know what, it's either I get tackled and the game's over or I just go for it. And once he's passed his man, I think the adrenaline just took him. But I, I've made reference to the fans a lot in this so far. And I think the reason it was my standout moment is because when you see the whole KF fans' reaction when he scores, and even the coaching staff as well, um, 
it, it was just in, incredible. And, and like Dave said, it, and I mentioned earlier on, it depends what side of the coin you're on. If you're a whole FC fan, it's a killer. But as a whole KR fan, you're absolutely buzzing. Um, and it just reminded me of, um, obviously, Rob's a bit more of a, a Wigan fan than I am, but I, I had a season ticket for a few years. And it just reminded me of, you know, there's no better feeling than beating your local rivals in the last minute. And it just took me back, Rob, to that try, the Lee, uh, Liam Farrell try. Paul Deacon flat ball on Good Friday and the feeling was just incredible. Yeah, that that that's absolute jubilation that I, like when you're when you're when you're the uh, especially when you're the home side as well, in front of everybody. You know, it's it was twenty six thousand people there in Wigan that day and the stadium erupted. Um, you know, at both ends because you know, Wigan couldn't believe that they'd pinched it in the last minutes and, and St. Ellings were in disbelief that they'd lost it in the last minute. Um I've, I, you know, watching that that David Hodgson try again, like you said, he he works a bit of room, and then it was almost like the belief of the fans, the adrenaline, and the belief in David himself that it was like, I've got to get to this try line, otherwise, what was that? What was that step for? So it's that belief, that adrenaline, everything kicks in, and it was almost like all the all the whole KR fans behind that try line were all breathing in at once because they were holding the breath, and it just it just pulled uh, Hodgson along to the try line. And, you know, it's moments like them, you, you, you just look at and go, that is, that's what rugby should be. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, like you say, though, it's them, it's them moments that as fans we live for, isn't it? And uh, we'll just uh, bring to an end this section of, of the podcast uh, with a couple of honourable mentions. I've got rain down here, um, Adrian Morley's, come back trying in 2013 where Mick Hyam makes a break. He's looking around for support and Adrian Morley's on his shoulder. Mick Hyam keeps looking, seeing if there's anybody else. And then he goes, you know what, I'm going to have to give it Moz here. He probably and, thought, Christ, why yeah. Adrian Morley? <laughs> <laughs> the, the two oldest players on the, on the pitch they're going through. And uh, it's a fair, took some finishing from Morley. I mean, he'll probably say it was more like 70 yards than the 25 yards that it was. But that's one of the, the moments that always gets put on these telling sort of people it was inside his own half and it was all his experience <laughs> that carried him over he had he'll be saying he, he ran from the <laughs> St James's Park all the way down to the Etihad to, to score that one <laughs> uh, it, guys just just want to just throw in a, a couple of extra ones just just name them if there's any more that spring to mind that we haven't been able to touch on in depth I mean I mentioned them very briefly before that Wigan Leeds game in 2015 the, Wigan needed a win from that game and I thought it was a quality performance from them. I'm going to go 2010 again, because um, I remember working on this particular game and I'm doing audio description. So it's commentary for the blind that were in the stadium. And it's an exciting game. It's the last one of the weekend. It's Leeds versus Wakefield. Um, and Wakefield had controlled it. At halftime, they were leading 28 points to 16 and Leeds were lucky to be in it. They got a try right on halftime that was a little bit scrappy through uh, Ryan Hall. And then in the second half, Hall went on to complete his hat-trick. Um, Wakefield kicked a penalty to go up to, to 30 points. And you're thinking, can they do it? Can they hang on? Chris Clarkson was coming through the ranks at Leeds Rhinos then. He was having a stellar game. He scores a crucial try. And then right near the end, they hadn't led at all in the game up until the 77th minute. But they make a break down the left-hand side. Ball's turned back on the inside. And Danny Badiris scurries in by the post. And Danny Badiris, what a name. That, I mean, that, that, was, that was another one of those sort of finishes, you know, to, to such a close game. And 
I've got to be honest, I was absolutely gutted for Wakefield because they put so much effort into that. And they, that particular season, they'd had like two or three really close clashes with Leeds as well. And they were absolutely pig sick right at the end. And, and, and again, it was almost a, uh, scenes of Kevin Sinfield doing cartwheels, et cetera, et cetera, because they, 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 <laughs> they couldn't believe that they'd actually gone and, and, and won the game. But what, what a moment that was. That was superb. I had no voice afterwards. <laughs> Um, mine is um, I, this. I actually, uh, when I was doing my research, I watched Sky put together the top five moments, and we've mentioned three of them already, I think. But one of them, it was at, at Newcastle actually, and it was um, a monster drop goal from uh, Jacob Miller for, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, it was Wakefield v Catalans, I think. Literally from the halfway line, I think, he, he plonks this drop goal over. So, yeah, that's my honourable mention. Just, I didn't remember it beforehand, but watched it and I thought that's a thing. I think a drop goal is an incredible piece of skill, especially if it's in, it's usually sort of towards the end of a game, isn't it? You know, in, in a pressure situation. So, uh, yeah, Jacob Miller with his monster drop goal is, is my honourable mention. I think I'm just going to throw one more honourable mention in, just so Lee get a mention in the same day. <laughs> I mean, it's for all the wrong reasons. Adam Mixon's horror high tackle against Salford. Oh, it's one God. of the worst tackles you'll ever see. Um, but, well, we'll throw that in the list just so Lee get a mention. You're listening to the brand new Matchday FM podcast. If you agree or more likely disagree with our panel's views, then let us know. You can find us on Twitter. We're on at Matchday FM. We're also on Facebook. Just search for Matchday FM. Well, now revisit a topic that we, uh, we touched on a little bit earlier and sort of like where does Magic Weekend go from now once we're back after lockdown obviously first and foremost that rugby league will have to find a way back from from the circumstances it, it finds itself in but once it does and we have magic weekends again where does it go um we've mentioned already all the different venues that it's been at is it a case of we need to try something radical i know there's been talk of say even like going playing all the games over in north america for toronto uh, we've seen mutins of down in south of France, linking it with Catalan. There's even been talk of turning it into a nines like they have in, in the NRL. What suggestions do you guys have for how it could evolve? Or is it a case of, if it ain't broke, don't fix it? Before they, they worry about moving it or tinkering with it or changing it, it's just perfect it first, what they've got. So it's what do they want out of it? Do they want to develop? grassroots rugby do they want to develop a, a specific team in an area do they want to bring rugby league to an area is it for the family is it for the neutral fa- perfect it first i mean it's not far off if i'm honest especially what, with what they did at newcastle and the follow-up for, uh, at newcastle like, like like dave mentioned that 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 would be my first thing is you know what is it is it is it is it gonna if you're gonna change it you've got to perfect it and then keep it as that for a good few years until you know that that model works and just keep because if it if it doesn't work it's not going to work and then you can then start changing things bit by bit but my, my thing would be leave it as the format it is now take it back to newcastle perfect it what about you dave for example the, the summer bash is something in the championship which works perfectly at blackpool um would you say similar to what rob was saying that one venue should the case or 
do you have more grander plans for it? If, if you was a man making all the decisions in rugby league, Dave? Yeah, if I was the man making all the plans, I'd actually scrap it in its current format because I don't actually like the fact that it's an extra fixture on the calendar. So I'm not, I've never been a fan of loot fixtures. So I, I figure, how can you have a league competition when everybody's, they might be playing, a, uh, you know, like the same number of games, but you're skewing the fixture list somewhat, aren't you, by chucking loot fixtures in, by chucking the magic weekend in. However, I do believe that it should be rugby league's time to shine. And I believe that you could really grow the game and use it as a grassroots, um, as something to grow the grassroots by having it as a nines competition for the entire rugby league community. So you invite absolutely everybody. You play it over three days. Um, you know, you get people involved from the championship, from League One. You you can really do some 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 proper development work, and you know, get people developing the skills. You know, because I believe that um, you know, to a certain extent, although we talk about rugby league being quick and being fast and being played by people who are like super fit, I believe some of those core skills that we once had aren't quite as good i've been watching during this lockdown period quite a lot of older rugby because i'm a bit of a dinosaur compared with you guys and um what one thing that certainly stood out to me i know you always look back and you always think ah oh, there's some halcyon days there and quite often then you think well hang on no did i really like going to Oldham when it was minus 10 and um, did i really like going to batley when they played on the side of a hill and there was no cover at all and that type of stuff so you know i, I granted people have the different opinions different views but i I believe that we don't quite see as much skill in rugby league as we once did. And I would promote skill and have it as the skill factor weekend. I'm sounding like uh, a certain old uh, commentator on Sky by calling for the skill factor to return. But I would bring in a nines concept. I would put some money behind it. You'd get a sponsor. You could then grow the game. And um, why not, you know, have like... Uh, something that involves the entire rugby league community. You could invite the best of the amateur clubs up to also play amongst themselves. You could really go to town on it. The idea would be for me, you want to sell it out. You don't just want to yeah. look at a stadium that is okay. Cumulatively over the course of a weekend, they might get 60,000 people watching it. You want there to be, you know, 40, 50,000 in all at once. You know, and, and that's what we should be aiming for. And I think that you could get that with a nines competition or several nines competitions all running and, and give everybody that chance to have that, that, that real uh, go at entertaining the masses. Certainly a very interesting idea. I'd, I'd, I would probably say a nines competition is something that would work over here. I know we, we saw uh, Northern Rail nines, didn't we, a few years back at Blackpool that sort of half worked and they just sort of died into they just sort of forgot about it we see the Auckland nines is a uh, roaring success in down in Australia then it is something that that could work they never I mean, gave it enough time to develop as far as I'm concerned you know because they had they had a concept there with the the nines and I do remember actually going and covering those and again from a journalistic point of view it was magnificent because you got all the teams in one place I was going around and you, you suddenly find yourself speaking to like virtually every coach because they're all in one place it's that, that that was what what was good and again it's something that is really positive about the whole Magic Weekend it is taking that rugby league on a journey I suppose to somewhere maybe a little bit different but there's there's got to be some sort of and this will again sound like it, I'm hatching a grand plan here but you know it's got to be something taking over 
ulterior motive you know there's got to be a reason why you're doing it and i get that at the time it's almost just been like well you know that's a good place which has plenty of pubs let's take it there and i think there's got to be a little bit more development work that goes on and and you know so so i applaud what you know newcastle are doing in that particular area with the northeast and, and i think that that is that that should be its seminal home for now yeah i mean if you don't do nines i mean touch rugby's taken off massively so that could be an, an, another interim if you if you don't want to do nines as well and then you can get because i know there's quite a lot of i mean there's a there's a team near where i work and it's actually one of the local businesses has a touch team so it's like that could also be added to it as well yeah, but very Start, much. You should have gone to Dave Laugh. You should have gone to Dave Laugh because I'm going to sound so underwhelming in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is your opportunity to pitch. I don't know, go and play in it, playing rugby league nines on the moon or something like that. <laughs> I understand all the sort of. I, I do. I completely. This is not me disagreeing with you, Dave, in any stretch of imagination because. I can understand why they're also tempted to go to you know North America for Toronto because let's be honest, they've put a lot into the Toronto project, haven't they? Like it's no secret, and I can also understand why they maybe you know time with the side of France because they they did see uh, well Wigan and Catalan saw quite decent success with the New Camp game as well. Um, again, but it's sort of similar to the Newcastle approach that you know there's, there's sun and, and good beer, so maybe that's why a lot of people went to the to the Barcelona game. But in, in in terms of Magic Weekend, I, just, I like it how it is. And I'm sort of going to go against a, 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 a mini point what Dave said as well about it. He said he doesn't like the extra fixtures. And I, like, I liked it when it was derby games. But I can understand why they changed it because a lot of teams might have thought, you know, that's unfair really because, you know, why should Wigan play an extra game against Saints and vice versa when, you know, most seasons they're in the top sort of four teams, aren't they? When you know somebody else could be playing a lesser team, for example, I know it doesn't Atlanta always work out that way. Yeah, it, like when uh, yeah when Harley Quinn's played Catalans because it was you know over the channel. <laughs> yeah. um, but it's I think take it back to derby games and have it at Newcastle for the next year. You know, get it back to some kind of normality. But then I do agree. Uh, whether whatever they do, they need to you know, like Dave said, ulterior motives. I think there's got to be. Yeah, we did it to get people involved and people interested in the sport who may not be a hardcore fan. But it's been going for God knows how long. What thirteen? Well, this would have been the thirteenth year, fourteenth year, something like that. So yeah, it, it has gone stale to an extent. Yeah, but I think as a as a as a hardcore, I just loved the extra derby games. I think there was an added spice. I think that the the whole thing of taking it to Liverpool is, was just because Anfield was available and it's Anfield. I I think, you know, if it went to, say, you know, the Midlands somewhere or to Bristol, you know, areas that aren't traditional heartlands, it's, again, it's spreading the sort of rugby gospel a bit. But one place I would probably take it would be Dublin. I know a lot of um, Irish internationals have, have called um, for Dublin, probably for, you know, Cheap ale and and and, and that Touch sort cheap. of stuff. But, oh, decent <laughs> ale, anyway. Um, Amount of experience. <laughs> but I think that that's probably the next logical step would be Ireland, purely because of the you know the wanting think, to spread the international game within these the UK and Ireland shores. I, I th- other than that, I, I do think somewhere like a, a Newcastle is probably the the best fit for it, like Blackpool is for the Bash. It would. It'd just be interesting. I think. Um, 
even if they did, you know, keep it Heat Magic Weekend in its actual format, but then do a trial sort of weekend elsewhere in the calendar. Do, do you know what I mean? If they're gonna, if they want to do something different, do, do you understand what I'm saying? Rather than yeah, just sort of like take a game on a, on the road or something. You know, like, yeah, uh, well, I know we can done that. to Millwall and stuff like that. Maybe that is something. You could say a little bit more, perhaps. Well, not, not Millwall. I don't think that's very family. <laughs> yeah, friendly, yeah, but... <laughs> I think that's, uh, that was a bit of a odd um, one, wasn't it, really? No, no, what I mean is, like, obviously, the Magic Weekend where you've got all the games being played in one weekend, but it's sort of like, it's Super League and that's it. What, what I'm saying is, if we go with Dave's idea where it's a bit more rounded and it's it goes right down into, you know, grassroots, rather than just scrap Magic Weekend and then change it to that, keep Magic the Weekend... the Norwich Nines under, tournament. But, but also add... The Norwich Nines, but also add a another calendar, a date in the calendar. So you're not, you you know what I mean. You're not completely getting rid of Magic Weekend, but you're also trying something else. Yeah, and then you Magic, can kind of like transition across. Yeah, Magic Weekend two, <laughs> two point oh, Judge, Judgment Day. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly would be with Wigan and St. Helens scrapping. It would be in Millwall, <laughs> <laughs> but maybe that's where it should be. Wigan say St. Millwall. Now that is a spectacle. And a half. Well, I think we've pretty much covered everything to do with Magic Weekend and, and then some. Um, so, obviously, we hope uh, Rugby League is back in the near future. Maybe not um, this dog. Um, <laughs> dogs, dogs give better opinion than me. Because I'm more out time than you, <laughs> Well, uh, one thing's for sure is that the Match Day FM podcast will be back, even if Rugby League is still a while away and most sports in general. One sport that is returning is snooker, and we'll have a, a podcast on that. I think Joe and Elliot are our two resident snooker experts who are going to be discussing that one. And we've also got on Saturday, there will be a Champions League episode. Um, so we've got Chris Coughlin and Harry Reynolds, who were on the FA Cup one with myself, who were part of that one. You'll hear Tom Whitehead and Sam Jordan for the first time this uh, year as well. So I Let's face it, Coughlin and Sam in the same podcast. You might be having to find a seat to be comfortable for a good few hours with that one. And shotgun not editing that. Yeah. <laughs> that will go yeah. on for a while. Can't we'll wait do... for Sam to take the sting out of that Istanbul comeback. <laughs> yeah, he'll just say it was a fluke, won't it? And it'll, <laughs> he'll get Everton into it. It's a Champions League podcast, which Everton yeah. will appear in. There's no two ways about it. The, the beauty um, of us four is... Um... We've actually worked together and it's always been positive. So I don't know where it's going to go with all that. <laughs> uh, that could be interesting. I would highly recommend that one anyway. But keep an eye out on our social media channels for details about where you can find this one and the other two. And there'll be more coming up in the next few weeks. So my thanks to Rob, Dave and Kieran and not so much thanks to the neighbour's dog. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you very soon. <laughs>